Episode 100. Episode 100, here we Let's are. Let's do it. Oh my goodness. Of course, by now, uh, it's we're recording this on uh, January 8th, so we haven't broken 10,000 plays, but I'm Not sure quite by the time yet. it airs, we will be well over 10,000 plays. I can't wait for that day. Oh, that's going to be a good day. It's good. It is. Well, thanks, thank you, uh, listeners, for tuning in to What's the Res. We have thoroughly enjoyed this project and plan to continue it for as, as far as we can foresee. Uh, this has been a ton of fun making these. Yeah, this has been great. Uh, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of What's the Res? We are dedicated to hosting the ongoing conversation about the current resolutions in the world of high school debate. My name is Josh Herring. My name is Ethan Delves. And uh, we are today discussing the February public forum resolution resolved. The United States should replace means-tested welfare programs with a universal basic income. We talked a lot about UBI on What's the Res? We've had a couple debates. We did the live stream that one time. So, well. Uh, yeah it's it's good it's i know it's an idea that seems to have captivated people's attention a lot yeah Um, (laughs) i first became aware of this when i started following andrew yang and his presidential campaign and watched him i think the in the first democratic presidential debate he got maybe 10 seconds or something oh yeah yeah (laughs) but he managed to get out his belief that we need a ubi he seems to make the most important thing he makes good use of his the little time that he does get in the debates i'll give him that he does i know we've got a couple we've got some friends who are big fans they're members of yang gang 2020 so we'll see okay well ethan what do you what do you see in this resolution what what leaps out at you initially the the first thing that leaped out to me was means tested because you just don't usually see that in a UBI resolution. We've debated the Coolidge one, and we made our own little UBI resolution for the live stream, like I said before. And we've never decided to put means tested in there. So I, my first, my inclination is to to find out if there's really a difference or what kind of difference there is between mean tested and not means tested, which I can't, but I'm assuming that just means welfare that everyone qualifies for or things that everyone qualifies for. Um but the UBI was just a, a normal thing that we discuss a lot, so that didn't really leap out that much. But means tested got my attention because yeah, I'm wondering really, if there's a reason that that's included. You know, I, I think so. That that's the that's the more formal language for our existent what package of welfare programs that the United States federal government uh, puts forth, because they don't just give welfare to anyone who asks. I mean, no, it it seems like that at times. It seems like if we're giving over a trillion dollars of money to people throughout the country every year is it just available to everybody but it, it's not it doesn't work that way every program has certain criteria that people have to meet so it's pretty much all welfare that uh, we're talking about. yeah basically this I mean, is this is one thing too is because original the original ubi resolutions didn't really talk about removing welfare from a while back like the remember the coolidge one didn't have anything right. about well they had a more recent one i think right that did but i or maybe it wasn't coolidge maybe it was something else but no, it was the coolidge, like, coolidge did but it was uh it, it wasn't quite this extensive it was right. arguing that we should have a ubi exactly just in general so now it's like oh wait we can't pay for that so we're just gonna have them if we're gonna take out the means tested welfare so it's like that used to be an argument against the resolution now it's just the resolution so right. it evens out the ground a little bit more i think it's a little more fair to those arguing in favor of the ubi because then no one can just come at them with like we can't pay for it good night you Which know? Is, well, it, no, we'll get to it in a few moments. I mean, I think that's still a critical argument. At least it's not as at least it's not like a silver bullet argument. True, though. true, true, true. Uh, but that whole means tested idea really has that. That's kind of critical because 
you can't just sign up for Medicare. You have to prove that you are at a certain economic level. You can't just sign up for food stamps and say, I'd like money to buy groceries. You need to prove that you have a certain level of income and so on. So how does that establish a difference with Medicare and Medicaid? I know a lot of our listeners probably know this. I'm asking you, like, do yeah. you know, what's the difference? Uh, oh, yeah, between Medicare and Medicaid? Yeah. What they apply to. Okay. Uh, Medicaid, if I understand correctly, is intended for usually for elderly folks. Okay. Uh, and Medicare is a more general government-sponsored healthcare program. But I will confess, I've not ever used those programs. I'm not terribly familiar with either, though I have friends who I know people who've used both. Okay. Because um, I was wondering, because I thought Medicaid focused more on like. They had more requirements for oh, these income requirements. I'm not Both sure. Both of them do, be, and yeah. uh, some of them are different. For and again, it, it gets really complicated really quickly, which is one of the reasons the UBI is really attractive because it simplifies a really complex. System. Exactly, and with all of these means-tested welfare programs, you need to not only talk about federal regulations but right. state regulations on these things so you've got not like a, so much no um, really? no there's there's not because we're we just reading this thing for the or no no that was about federal stuff okay. the heritage right, foundation good, report yeah. yeah the that's looking at federal welfare because there are there are some state level welfare programs but with the rise of federal welfare programs uh states kind of dropped some of the programs that they already had in existence so it's like they're already simplifying because we're, we're like well, follow me here because again, I'm trying to help. I'm trying to help the case here that if we're dropping more of the state programs in favor of federal programs, while there's still more than just one, like the UBI would just be one program. It's getting more simple. Right. No, that, that's true. That's that's true. But it's still a. It is a convoluted mess. Of, it is. That, that, I will grant you that. Yeah. Uh, okay. So now I know we've looked at this before, but do you remember the various? UBI programs that have existed in other countries. Oh yeah, Canada was a big one. People love using the example of Canada. Uh, what was what was that other one? It was it. Um, do you know? Or are you just trying to get me to? Oh, yeah, it, it is on the on the notes in front of you. But right, I'll, 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 I'll jump in. Yeah, uh, but you're it. right about Canada. Canada lasted their program lasted two years. They have one province that experimented. Well, with you have UBI. Kenya and Alaska on here. Uh huh. Those weren't the ones I was thinking of. Oh okay. Yeah. Were you thinking of the one in Finland? in Scandinavia? Yes. That, they were, was, that was the yeah. other big one. But both Finland and uh, Canada had programs for a while, but they kind of, uh, in the case of Finland, it became too expensive, so they discontinued it after, I think, 18 months. Mm -hmm. Theirs was sort of a smaller experiment where they were giving people, uh, I think they equivalent to $400 a month for, uh, but it was, there were 32,000 people in the experiment, right. but it was, it Literally, it costs too much to continue to run. I know Canada's was more expensive, right? They ended up giving a lot more money. They to a lot did, more but theirs, we don't know specifically why they ended theirs. The key motivating factor was a change in party. The Labour Party was in power when they passed a UBI, but then the Conservative Party won the next election, and one of the first things they did was stop that program. And I mean, it was working in conjunction with the like the universal health care that Canada has exactly. too. So that can, I can't imagine the cost of those oh, two programs goodness. together. It's really expensive. Exactly. Um, Kenya has an ongoing experiment. Uh, I'll see if I can find more for a later episode with the specifics there. But that one is really interesting because it's uh, it's funded by a private donor who wants to find out what happened if you give lots and lots of money to an entire village in regular payments. That's interesting. I can't wait to see how that so works So that's, that's a different thing completely, but it is a sort of universal basic income. I can see many, I can see plenty of people refuting that. Like that's nothing like the United States. We shouldn't do it, but it's worth right. looking at. Like that's right. interesting to think about. So, and then uh, Alaska is, theirs is tied to the state's oil business, 
where every citizen of Alaska gets something like $200 a year as kind of that their sliver of the state oil revenues for the year. Okay. Um Years ago, in the uh, early early sixties, or I'm sorry, late sixties, early seventies, the United States experimented with something called a negative income tax, where if you were making a low amount of money, you would actually get money back from the state government, from the federal government, instead of having to pay income tax. They discontinued it in part because the data showed that apparently people were not actually using this to pick up additional work or further their careers or anything or, or get additional or kind of get further education or anything, it led to other problems instead. Which so, is exactly why they put the words means tested in here, because now you have people that need, or the <clears> government <throat> can make sure people are applying to a certain number of jobs, I think is some kind of weird requirement for some of these programs. I don't know, there's tons of requirements, but right. like there's some sort of regulation to make sure that if we're giving people this money, something might come out of it. Exactly. And that, that really is, I mean, that, that's one of the pieces that comes up, I think, every time I've heard anybody debate welfare stuff. Usually someone in a welfare debate is focusing on, one person will focus on the need that exists for whatever welfare program we're, we're dealing with. That's usually, there's usually a heartbreaking personal need there at the heart of it. The other person opposing it is usually focusing on how other people will abuse the system and will waste taxpayer dollars. That that usually comes up, and I'm I'm sure that will be part of people's debate in in this particular resolution. All right, cool. I think we're good to get onto some arguments. I think so. But first, uh, we should mention we have a premium debate episode on basically this resolution. Uh, back in August of 2019, I debated a friend of mine named Andrew Wood on uh, the universal basic income, and uh, that episode is available as part of our premium subscription. So uh, if you want to subscribe, which you can do by going to whatstheres.com and clicking the banner there, uh, you'll find that debate, and uh, you may very well find that some of those, are hel- those arguments are helpful. Uh, Andrew and I both did a decent amount of research, and we tried to have as fact-heavy a debate as we could, given the uh, the parameters that we had. So that may be helpful to you. Uh, with that, Ethan, do you see what uh, what what are some uh, some good pro arguments that that might be relevant to this debate? The most prevalent pro argument, or the one that at least hops into my mind first, in favor of the universal basic income, is how simple the system would be. You just give people a check of like a, a check. There's no regulation. There's, or there's no like requirements or anything, especially because we're talking about means tested welfare programs, not just welfare in general. But, um, the simplification factor there is really attractive on behalf of the UBI. So that's the, that's the number one thing that jumps out to me. I think that's a huge, that's a huge argument for pro because, uh, in part, uh, I know we were looking earlier at a, there's a Heritage Foundation report that was trying to get at the uh, just how much money is currently spent by the federal government on welfare, and they, it's not really calculatable in a reliable way. But as you have so many programs that are funded by various sources and that are they actually spend various amounts of money, it's really difficult to actually get a final number. So having a single program may very well be a, that could be a great way to, to make this work. Which I'm thinking that you kind of fall into a situation where it's not like a one-size-fits-all policy, and not everybody needs this money, which is why means-tested welfare programs could be seen as more attractive, is because when you have a, a program like this on a federal level, you'd want it to be individualized or, or more specific to the individual. So if it's a poorer family, maybe they get more money. Well, a, a massively rich person wouldn't be getting $1,000 a month from Andrew Yang just because they qualify. Because you know, Jeff Bezos needs $1,000 more a month. Even. Exactly. I mean, he needs that. I, I don't know what Jeff's going to do without that $1,000 a month. Yeah, especially since he's not paying any taxes. Like, <laughs> And then there's that. 
Now, uh, the, the, now, I find, think it's interesting. You went to the most practical of the arguments there. The one that I've heard from people the most, uh, including our, our friend Brendan, who I'll, we'll give a shout-out to on the show, uh, Brendan is absolutely convinced that there is, the robo-apocalypse is coming for our jobs and that soon enough there will not be nearly enough jobs to go around because companies will hire robots to do everything uh, that normally they hire lower-level employees for today. And so because of all the jobs that are going to be lost, that's why we need a universal basic income to soften the blow of the coming massive unemployment. But what you need there is, is money, not a universal basic income, because welfare can achieve the same purpose. For everyone who's lost their job, we can give money to them, but with the universal basic income, we'd be giving them money and people who don't need the money, money as well. So the, it seems like the welfare program is a much better solution there. Kind of, except that the, uh, well, I mean, the, that... What you're looking at instead, the, the argument there for the for why the UBI will help with job loss is because of the scale of the job loss. And that when people are unemployed, the other parts of their lives become almost impossible in the moneyed economy that we live in. So if you don't have income coming in, your debts rise, and then your minor healthcare situations become much more drastic much more quickly. Transportation issues cause all kinds of other problems. Homelessness becomes a bigger problem if people are foreclosed on because they're out of work. And what people need, the argument goes, is a regular stream of income to help soften some of those expenses. And this would be more effective in the coming years, especially if we replace the existing system with a UBI. This would be a good place to point out that book that you showed me that one time, The Human Advantage, I yep. think it was called, where... Who's it by? Do you remember? Uh, that's by a guy named uh, Jay Richards. He's that's an right. economist at the Catholic University of America in their business school. Where he argues that basically we're not going to lose all of our jobs was the premise of the book. Like we, as humans, we have an advantage and here's how that whole technological shift is going to work out. So I read most of that book, yep. not all of it, um, but it was pretty good for what I read and it gave me some hope that I'm, some robot's not going to take my position on what's the res <laughs> and become a co-host. I, I, I don't think it would work. I mean, uh, uh, there was... Last summer, I think there was a there was a debate that happened in New York City with a robot. We, yeah, yeah, you exactly. saw that. Yeah, you yeah, saw yeah. It, heard about that one. Yeah. Uh, what I thought was really interesting was that the 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 robot didn't have any trouble coming up with a constructive case because they had fed hundreds of cases into the program. But the robot had a lot of trouble coming up with rebuttal. Here's a really good thing to remember about that, too, is like that the debater, the human debater was able to come up with a rebuttal to the robot, which it had all of that data input. Exactly. Like, like this robot has a, if you're talking like a solid debate case, leave it up to a robot that's been fed, you know, <laughs> gigabytes of information, <laughs> like premier debates. Like if you're, if anyone from there is listening to that, like imagine like premier debates, champion debates, all those briefs just given to AI, like to make a constructive case. This, that just shows that all arguments still have a hole. All arguments still have a weakness. A human being can come in and attack like probably thousands of pages of research and still make a viable rebuttal to that. So even if your opponent has like massive amounts of research and everything seems hopeless, rebuttal, you can still have a rebuttal. Like rebuttals are never lost, which is just really encouraging to me. So that was something I, I learned from that. So I think that's a good, that's a good argument then on the, uh, really on the con side here that, that maybe the predictions of a coming, uh, job apocalypse from robots are falsely overestimating how many robots will be in the workforce and are also underestimating the ability of people to adapt to changes in the economy. Fair enough. Yep. So 
Now, this was, uh, um, we had this debate in class. Uh, one, of, uh, one of your friends, Grace, uh, came up with this argument that I thought was really interesting. She argued, she thought that UBI would be really helpful from a feminist angle. Okay. Uh, because uh, particularly for women who decide to begin a family, that often they are uh, that this could help with some of the some, when they leave the workforce to be at home, take care of a baby. A UBI would help would still help them not be or help them contribute to family income. Are there any welfare programs that do that? No. Wow, that is good for the UBI. Could be. Uh, at least not, none that I'm aware of that are specifically focused on that. There are, I mean, there are certain programs that will, if you're unemployed and you have children, they will provide you with money to care for the child. But not nothing that's specifically intended to say, okay, you are contributing X number of thousands of dollars a month to the household budget, and now that you're unable to work in the same way, here's this to kind of help soften that. I don't know of anything like that. That kind of fits into the streamlined argument, too, because may, even if there was a mother that wanted to go maternity leave and take care of her child, she might have to apply to five different welfare programs to cover maybe, like, one thing is, like, um, or I'm not even going to just give, like, I'll just keep this general. She might have to apply to five different welfare programs to cover all of the different needs, but the UBI is streamlined. So the, I know one of the main arguments for the UBI is, like, because it's so simple, we just give people money, they can use it for whatever they need it to. Right. Which does then get to one of the counter-arguments there, uh, since uh, we've already introduced this, like, Right, I know what you're going to say, go for it. Yeah. Um, uh, one of the counter-arguments there that might come up is there are people who... Now, and uh, who receive more than the average benefit from welfare programs because they end up being able to stack programs so they qualify for different ones. So if we assume Andrew Yang's version of a UBI where he's uh, gone with uh, $1,000 a month, well, there are plenty of people who receive more than $1,000 a month in revenue and benefit from various welfare programs. So those people are going to see a diminishing of the assistance that they receive from the federal government. So you can't put all the blame on the UBI. Like, just because Jeff Bezos is getting a $1,000 check, that might be better, and we might be happier with that than people stacking, you know, 10 welfare programs and getting well over $1,000 a month un without actually deserving it, without actually needing it. So we, we could, that's going to be easily weighed. Like, even if even if this is happening with the UBI, we could still see that as favorable over the alternative. I, I Maybe. I think that's fine. I would, I would be, I would feel intrigued to at least try making that argument that's something that i would okay I would try okay there. i mean i think there's there's room there you you'd have to make that argument and you'd need to be ready to uh you need to be prepared for blocks that are focusing on uh grandma's medicaid being ripped apart ripped away and her 800 dollars a month in prescription benefits are gone as is her thousand dollar a month social security check and also her 400 dollars a month in uh, in food stamps, so grandma was getting twenty two hundred dollars a month in living assistance, and, and she only got a thousand. Yeah, and and what what happens? Who who helps with the rest of that? And, and how do, is, also, how do we deal with the increasing cost of welfare? Is another thing because if it's the UBI, like the the one thing that's going to keep a UBI getting more expensive is more people being born. But with welfare programs, you have if you have people, it, like it fluctuates. You know, like there's job loss here, or there's um, any sort of economic like restriction going on then that changes the amount that we're spending on welfare but with the ubi it's going to be the same unless we just have more True. people qualifying for it which means and that that reminds me of another good argument on pro that uh the pro side could look at a lot of the data about how the our current social security system and wealth and uh 
mostly Social Security, but the, the rest of the welfare packaging as well, is really unsustainable with a shrinking population and a uh, shrinking job force. So as is, the, our current means-tested welfare system is projected to collapse de- to some, I believe the last number I saw was by 2040. So going and making this change now could be a much better plan than waiting for systemic collapse of a welfare system. But then how do we guarantee that the UBI wouldn't collapse in the same way? Because in Finland, it lasted, what, 18 months? See, the argument I've heard about, now that's, that's the biggest question. I think that's the best argument on the con side, that this is ultimately not feasible. Yeah. I mean, so if you have, say, 300, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to avoid doing quick math. You might want to, maybe you can add this up on your phone for me. All but, right, hang on, hang on. Because uh, I, okay. I, math is not my strong suit. So let's say we have, uh, let's just be very conservative with our numbers. And let's say we have 200 million adults in the United States who qualify for the UBI. Okay. As Meaning they are eight between, they are between ages 18 and 65. Let's okay. say. And they're receiving $12,000 a year. How much is that? So that is um, a very large number. Okay. That is two point four trillion. Two wait, okay. Wait, yeah, yeah, millions, billions, trillion. Yeah. Okay, two, good, good. <laughs> two point four okay. trillion dollars a year. Now, in order for this plan to work, that means that somehow through additional taxes, the US federal government needs to collect two point four trillion dollars. Or we could just borrow it from ourselves. In which case, we're going to... Go into more national debt. Which is, as we've already talked about, I don't know how many times, is eventually going to collapse our economy if we just keep going. So, but we need to somehow collect $2.4 trillion more in revenue... Every year. Every year, and distribute that. But again, if you take, like, just to be at least be fair to the other side, we're taking about one point... What was it from the Heritage Foundation? It's hard to calculate, but it's That's over a trillion dollars right. from the welfare system. So again, we still need to generate twice that much, but right. we're taking half of that at least from somewhere and else. In theory, this becomes a self-funding cycle because the money is just kind of circulating throughout the economy. It's a sort of redistribution, but it's a redistribution of certain costs that should lead to savings elsewhere in the economy that should all balance out. But I will confess, I'm a skeptic when it comes to this program. So, the, so what makes you the most skeptical? What's the what's the one thing about oh, the UBI that makes it everything? The the math. The, yeah, well, the math is the, one. The, the thing the, that makes it like makes me most skeptical is the uniformity of it. Like, how do we have one program? Like, one there's a one size fits all thing, and we're talking about two hundred like million people. There's got to be some problems in there. Like that's and, that's and the one thing. Cost of living is wildly different in different areas. I mean, if you are living in San Francisco, I've I've read about college professors who are making um, over a hundred grand a year who cannot afford to rent an apartment. Uh, they're living out of their cars, making that making six figures. Yeah. Versus, if you live in Raleigh, you can live in a pretty decent place on that kind of money. I mean, and by and you can go on much smaller salaries as well. Exactly. I mean, so, so country. how do we have a one size fits all policy yeah. like that? It's, it seems like the welfare wins on that point. At least we're, we're, it's much more viable so. an individualized program. Even if some people, it's like some people always abuse the system. It makes sense. Some people always abuse the system, but at least we're not spending two point four trillion dollars a year on a UBI. One other point on con there is uh, I think there's I would suspect, and I, I'm sure the data exists. I, I haven't found it yet, but I would suspect on that. One of the effects that you'll quickly see if this goes into effect is massive inflation on the basic goods and services for the lowest tier of society. Hmm. So if suddenly the poorest American citizens are receiving $12,000 a year, 
I suspect what we're going to see is housing costs for those folks be inflated by about twelve thousand. And I'm sure, like we, that would be a great place to dig into what happened in Canada or even Finland and see if that happened there. Which because sometimes we we get so convoluted in like the, like I don't know the arguments on the pro or con like the one we were just talking about with how uniform the policy is when you're just going at it at general principles. The best thing to do is like this happened in two places already. Like what right. actually happened with the UBI there? Canada was the most interesting example to me because that was a it definitely did not go well. I. I found really, when I was digging into those different examples, with the exception of Kenya, because it hasn't been around long enough to have succeeded And it's privately funded. Right, which, that's which totally is also, different. Yeah. With that exception, every other version of this has failed. But And I also <laughs> want to draw into question the Alaska thing, because it sort of makes sense. And I, I wouldn't use it, like, I wouldn't take it to the point where we're looking at statewide examples, like, look, let's just make this national, because Alaska is special with the oil industry, so they, right. have, they have a means to actually fund this. Like, we're making tons of money with oil, so everybody gets $200. Andrew Yang's planning on $1,000 for every single person for every month. Every, granted, being above 18 and whatever, and a U.S. citizen. But um, the two really viable examples are Canada and Finland. And Finland just it failed after like eighteen months. Mm-hmm. And Canada, I don't even know how where they get all this money from. Is it taxes, is it, man? Like, well, yeah, but they're running universal health care and they're going to be running UBI taxes. Like, Lots of taxes. It's expensive to be in Canada. Is it, do you think anyone's going to stick to that and run it like that? Or are they just going to be like, yeah, it might be expensive. We'll find a way to pay for it. Oh yeah, plenty of people will. Plenty They'll of people stick will. To it. Oh yeah, a lot of people will simply say we will tax the wealthy. I mean, you, you've watched. Oh, uh, tax the wealthy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because then, yeah, we can tax the wealthy. But then you were just talking about how the prices are going to inflate for the poor anyway. So it's going to yep. balance out for the poor, and the wealthy are going to have less money, and everyone just becomes more flattened that way. Yes, and you know, you know, of course, the uh, the the Austrian arguments for the uh, yeah, I think this is an Austrian argument about. Uh, if you tax the wealthy, you reduce the ability of the wealthy to begin new companies or to hire new people or pay them higher salaries. Yeah, but so, they're robots, so that wouldn't happen anyways. <laughs> well, if we want to have, if we want to maintain humans working at a human living wage, one of the pieces that we need to do is to make sure that the wealthy do keep their own money, which they tend to use to fund their own business endeavors. Now, that's most of what I've got on this uh, resolution with the uh, with two last points, and I'll toss it back your way. Um, one thing that I would encourage folks to really focus, spend a lot of time on, especially if you're on pro, uh, is that you need to define what you mean precisely by the universal basic income. Because if you're going with an Andrew Yang style plan, you have an actual amount of money. But when, we ran, when people ran this at the Coolidge tournament... I, I, I heard oh, about man. all kinds of cases where no one bothered to say how much money they were talking about. Has, I, I feel like no one's actually gone in on the solvency of this. Like, can we actually pay for it? Can someone just make an entire rebuttal about how we can't pay for it? Like, that would be great. Oh, that'd be so tempting. It's, <laughs> no, no, but here's what's more tempting, is everyone wants to talk about the nitty-gritty, like, well, then what if this happens to someone, this many people will abuse the system? It's like, we just can't pay for it. Just, like, someone try that, honestly. That would be great. That'd be interesting. Yeah. Last thing, uh, anytime we get into a wealth, I get into a welfare conversation, uh, the, usually the folks I'm discussing this with are convinced that somehow the government can simply give money away. So I do want to just go on record as reminding anyone listening, the government is in no way productive when it comes to the economy. The only money that the U.S. federal government has, and also that state governments have, is money that they have received through taxes. There is no such thing as a free lunch. So if there is a government program that is giving money to the people, that money is coming from the people in some way. 
So in this case, what the UBI is actually doing is making the U.S. federal government the middleman in an even more convoluted system uh, with the goal, of course, of streamlining things and reducing cost. But in reality, it's simply putting the same organization that is ridiculously complicated and convoluted in charge of receiving at least $2.4 trillion a year and then fairly distributing that to everyone. So is that... Are you finished with your... Yeah, that, that's, all, right, that's cool. all I got. I just didn't want to cut you off. That was my rant. All right, I'm done. Cool. Um, I, I pretty much have nothing to add. I think like the UBI is always a solid resolution to argue. Um, the pro has lots of ground to talk about how welfare is not working. The neg has plenty of ground to talk about why um, we need the UBI. I got a couple of examples. Questionable as to whether or not it's working, but it's a, it's a decently well-divided debate, and I like how they added in the means-tested welfare. So we can talk about actually getting rid of welfare and implementing UBI instead of having both, which seemed to be the first version of this resolution. Um, so much more fair. Uh, it's going to be a good debate. So public forum guys or girls, have fun with this. Um, I've got nothing else. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Uh, we would love to hear how this debate goes for you. And if you have any questions for us, we'd love to get those as well. Uh, also, any feedback or hate mail you want to send us is also welcome. You can reach us at uh, over email at whatstheres at gmail.com. We're also on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Reddit with the uh, handle at whatstheres underscore. You can find our Facebook page at facebook.com slash whatstheres. We're now uh, getting bigger on YouTube, which has been quite yep. fun. Just search Watch the Res on YouTube. We also got our website. That's www.whatstherez.com. And, of course, if you do need more debate in your life, you can find our premium debates. We release one new debate episode each month. You can find those on our website. You can click the banner. It'll take you right to the Podbean premium subscription page. All right. And until next time, work hard, speak well, and seek the truth. <laughs>